Welcome to the Traveling Image Makers Podcast, your source of inspiration about travel photography. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride as we bring you on a tour around the world with our guests. Hi, this is Ugo Che, and this is the Traveling Image Makers Podcast the show where we interview famous and not-so-famous photographers and discover what compels them to travel many hours and cross many borders to get the shots. A few weeks ago, in episode 185, I had a conversation on this very podcast with Valérie Jardin. Most of the discussion we had was centered on an article that was published on the New York Daily News entitled When Your Photograph Harms Me. New York should look to curb unconsensual photography of women. It would have been easy to discount the article as yet another rant about street photography and its purported invasion of privacy. But the fact that it was written by an Asian woman got me thinking. It made me think that photography is mostly a white guy's club. Women are a minority, and people of color, especially black, are even a smaller minority. Black women photographers... Personally, I don't know any. We white guys tend to overlook this fact, and it's easy for us to become race-blind and gender-blind. When I look at the issue of photographing strangers in the street, it's easy for me to think that I should apply a sort of a golden rule. I am not going to treat others in ways that I wouldn't want to be treated myself. But is that really enough? The problem with that attitude is that I try to imagine how I would feel if I were in front of the camera. But I'm a white guy, not a woman of color, for example. Maybe I should try to imagine what it feels like to be in front of the camera as a woman of color. It might not exactly be the same. So I thought of inviting to the show my longtime friend Ibarion Xperello, who is not only a great street photographer, but he's also a black photographer, and ask him how he feels about this issue and how he sees things from his own unique perspective. If you don't know Ibarionex, uh, you can check out his website at ibarionex.net. He's not only a great photographer with over 25 years of experience in the photographic industry, but he's also an educator and also a podcast host. He's the host of the Candid Frame podcast, one of the longest running podcasts uh, with many hundred episodes uh, under his belt. So please join me in welcoming Ibarion Xperello to the show. Welcome to the show, Ibarion X. Long time no see. Yeah, thank you, man. It's good to, to have a chance to talk to you. It's been a long time. It's been a long time. You were a guest on this show years ago. I remember I was also a guest on your show even longer ago. So <laughs> it's good to, to catch up again. Uh, what's new in your world? What's been happening this uh, these past few years or recently? Oh. You got any? Well, more more recently, things are opening up now, which is really nice. Um, we had our first meal uh, with another couple, I think, about two weeks ago, and we went to an outdoor little cafe uh, near the beach, and it was so nice to have a meal with an other people. <laughs> You know, I love my family, but it was just like, it was just nice to see other faces. And, um, you know, besides that, I got out last couple of weeks. I've been actually getting out and doing more street photography because I really haven't done it for most of the year. 
And in a couple of weeks, I'm going to be, me and my wife are going to be headed out to Paris for an overdue vacation. So that's um, going to be a vacation, no work. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm always shooting while I'm there. Yeah. But um, yeah, it'll be nice to get away from the routine here. So just like everyone else, you know, we're just getting back to, to something that resembles normal. How's the podcast going? Good, good. It's, this is its 15th year. Wow. And um, yeah, it's been going really, really well. I'm really excited about many of the people that I've had to uh, interview this season. I did change one thing a couple of weeks ago. I, I went back to bi-weekly. I've been doing the show weekly for years now. Um, but there were other th projects that I needed to work on and I just couldn't, uh, keep, I didn't have the bandwidth to be able to do all the work that I needed to do for a weekly show, um, in terms of all the research and, and doing the interviews and uh, on top of everything else I'm trying to do. So on a suggestion of a friend of mine, um, decided to go every other week and that's been a great help. Um, and it doesn't seem that people really mind uh, very much because it allows them more of an opportunity to catch up um, mm -hmm. on episodes because I know that people don't get to listen to every single episode as it comes out, uh, and the numbers kind of reflect that. So uh, I think that people are just happy to get, have a good conversation and have it be pretty consistent in terms of it coming out. Yeah, I have to say that my consumption of podcasts has uh, decreased quite a bit during this period because of the, the pandemic. It's, it's one thing that strangely has been impacted because I used to listen to podcasts when I was traveling on a plane or driving right. around long drives and so on. I would listen to the podcast in the car or on the train. And <laughs> having gone pretty much nowhere, <laughs> I have a long queue of podcast uh, episodes, including yours, to, to listen to. So I don't know when I will be able to catch up, but hopefully soon. Well, they'll uh, be there waiting for you. Yeah, I'll still be there. I think I got my uh, podcast app here as something like 186 episodes still to listen to. <laughs> Queued up. <laughs> <laughs> still downloaded. Uh, anyway, and, and you've been uh, uh, writing books, right? Still during those years, I know. Just to um, that was, God, since the last time we talked, probably uh, the, the last book that I wrote was Making Photographs. Um, developing a personal visual workflow. And um, that was, came out maybe about two years ago. Mm. And, um, but that's been the last book that I've done. Um, there are a couple of other book ideas I'm banding about, but uh, nothing that I'm completely immersed in right now. They're just ideas now. Um, and then I'm working on some other projects that I can't really talk about uh, right now, uh, all of which are keeping me busy. And then I, I work at the Huntington Museum uh, Library and Gardens as a special projects photographer. So I do have a nine to five and uh, there I'm photographing a lot of uh, arch archival materials like old letters, stuff that's 200, 300 years old, uh, books, artwork. Um, and then on top of that, I'm doing the podcast and writing magazine articles and whatever else that, you know, needs to get done during the course of the week. So there's never a shortage of things to do. Of course. Anyway, uh, the reason I 
ask you to, to come on this show, as, uh, as I mentioned in the introduction. Um, I had this uh, conversation a few weeks ago with our common friend, Valérie Jordan, about this article that I saw online. Uh, I was alerted to the article by another friend, Levi Sim. And the article was about this, uh, written by this woman who was uh, complaining about uh, uh, being photographed in the street without her permission. And during my conversation with, with Valerie, what uh, I started thinking of was that when I think of this situation, right, uh, when I think of, is it okay for me to take photos of people in the street without asking their permission, that I try to always apply a, a sort of a golden rule where I say, what would I think uh, if I were the, the person in front of the camera? Would I be? Would it be okay for me to be photographed in those in that situation? And I use that to drive my my decisions in in that respect. But then I started thinking that well, I'm a I'm not just not everybody is is equal. Not everybody is the same. I'm a privilege to be a white guy, and like it or not, this is a category that is privileged in in many most places of the world, including where I live, uh, if not not the least for the fact that here we are the majority. It's kind of normal to be a person like me. So I thought that maybe a person who is not a uh, straight white guy would find it, think of things differently. And I thought maybe I need to put myself in their shoes, not think just of myself in front of the camera, but think of what it would feel to be uh, a woman of color, maybe, in front of the camera in, a, in, in that situation. And I thought that maybe I would think and see things differently. But it's really difficult for me to, to imagine how it, one would feel in that situation, right? Uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's not yeah. my usual <laughs> situation. Uh, now, of course, when conversing with Valerie, we... Uh, covered me we, we talked about it from the perspective of a woman which is of course much different from that of a man uh, but I also thought that um, also being a person of color or uh, not white would be different uh, I thought I, I don't know many photographers of color I don't know even probably I don't know even one single personally I mean if I were to to look into uh, think about the artists that I know indirectly, of course, I would, some can come to mind, but I personally don't know of any uh, woman of color who is a photographer, because this is also very much a business that is very much um, uh, the majority of photographers, professional ones, tend to be male and tend to be white, for whatever reason. So I would really like to have your uh, opinion about this how, how does it feel from your from your point of view what what are your thoughts on on this topic yeah that's that's something i've been thinking about for a very very long time um and the, the i'll start off with a story when i was in dominican republic i think it was like 1990 and um i went to visit my father uh, who was there on vacation. He was born in a small town called Monte Cristi. 
And I went down there while I was in college at UC Berkeley. And this was the first time where I had spent time with my father as an adult. Um, because my parents had gotten divorced several years before. He was remarried. He had um, uh, a young daughter, my, my sister. And so I went there um, and, you know, of course, took my camera to make, make images. And we were driving down the road one day. And um, Dominican Republic um, is on the island of Hispaniola. Um, it shares that island with Haiti. Um, and one day we were driving down the road and we stopped somewhere. And there, there are people along the roads who may sell things like fruit, nuts, you know, little vendors. And some of these people are selling things just outside of their home, which may be like a, a really modest sort of, I don't want to call it a shack, but it's, you know, it's probably like a one-room house, right? And I remember seeing people that were obvious to me that they were, were tourists who had stopped there as well. And I saw them enter the, the house and make photographs. And that immediately struck me as something that was just very wrong. Um, because I couldn't imagine that if the people who were vendors there were walking down the street of these people, these tourists, and the door was open, that they would take that kind of liberty to walk into the home and start making photographs. And it really made the impression in me in terms of the entitlement that um, people have when they possess a camera and they visit a, a community of a different culture, of a different race. And, and that was something I always wanted to be sensitive about as a photographer, because even though I'm you know, a person of color, um, because I possess a camera, I have a certain amount of entitlement. You know, the cameras are not cheap, so I understand that I'm of a different class. Yes, I'm of a different race, but you know, there, there are a lot of assumptions that people with cameras make about who and when and how they photograph people. So, um, so that's, that's, that's something that really has sort of been at the forefront of my mind and something that I'm very sensitive about when I'm photographing. Because I've seen plenty of times where, where people will photograph others, um, particularly if they're people of color or if they're in circumstances that are outside of the photographer's sort of cultural norm, whether it's they're, because they're traveling or they're just visiting a different community. And I think that there's, there's a belief that because they have a legal right to photograph because they're on a public street, so on and so forth, uh, that it's their right to make a photograph of anyone and anything. But I, I, I always think that it's important for the photographer to, to ask themselves, you know, to question themselves in terms of that, that entitlement, right? Why are you making this photograph? Why, um, what's your intention behind making, making that, that photograph? Um, one of the things when people ask me about photographing homeless people, for example, you know, um, a lot of people feel, um, it, for, pe for some people, it's easy to make a picture of somebody that's homeless. 
and I went and I asked them, "Would you be as quick to photograph someone who's wearing a three-piece suit and or wearing an attaché, you know, carrying an attaché case, you know, or someone who's, you know, someone who's in a, a position of authority where they could challenge you about you wielding the camera in their direction, you know, and if there is, if there is, sort of a hesitation." then you have to recognize the fact that, you know, because you, because this person is disempowered to a certain degree, you feel a greater liberty to make a photograph of that person. And, and that, that's not to say that you should never make a photograph. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that you have to be conscious of the fact that those biases and those prejudices exist and that they can inform, you know, how and when you decide to make a photograph. Absolutely. Uh, it made me think about uh, the fact that sometimes we, I consider myself a travel photographer, at least in part, and thinking about the reason why when we travel, we want to photograph people from the, the places that we go to. And one, one reason, of course, we want to document the, the travels, right? Make those cultures, those places visible to others who might not have been able to visit them. But uh, sometimes we, we take for granted the fact that we photograph people because they are alien to us in a, in a, to a certain extent. They are different, right? So you're a guy from India or a woman from India dressed with a sari. To me, it's unusual, it's different. It would not be to an Indian probably. So I think that is that photograph has merit because it's different, because the person is different, belongs to a different cultural background. But is it, is it really so? I mean, is that enough to, to justify taking a photo? Make, does it make the photo interesting? Maybe that's a different topic, but... Uh, yeah, just, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, the fact that something seems exotic to, to us as a photographer is obviously something that's going to lead us to want to make a photograph of it. We're, we're mm -hmm. reacting to it. We find it interesting. So just like anyone else, I, I would want to make a photograph if I saw a woman in a beautiful sari in India and there's beautiful light hitting her. Um, it's, I'm, I, I think that my intentions are, I, I feel like my intentions are always good and they're always sort of respectful, whether or not the subject is aware of me making a photograph or not. You know, I see something in them in them that I think is is beautiful, um, either because of just the way they're adorned or just because of their relationship in terms of the space. I don't feel like I have any sort of ulterior motive behind it. Um, I kind of bristle when I see photographs, and you know, I've seen them for for years, of of photographers who use telephoto lenses to take pictures of young girls. You know, they, they go to the beach and they have their 7200 and, you know, they're making pictures of these, you know, scandally clad women surreptitiously. And th those kind of images just feel creepy to me. Um, they, they're, rare, they're rarely particularly good uh, photographs. And when I see that that's exclusively what a photographer is creating in terms of their, their imagery, um, I really kind of question in terms of um, their, their sort of, their, their intentions with it. Not that, 
you know, that they're going to do something disgusting with, you know, with the photographs are inappropriate. But I, I just think that there's a relationship between um, them and the, uh, and the subject that is a little bit problematic. Um, you know, I, I will photograph, you know, a woman that I, I, that, that strikes me as an interesting subject matter, but, um, I'm, I'm, I'm not working with telephoto lenses. I tend to work with a 50 or a 35 or a 28 and, and not everyone is going to be aware of the fact that I'm making a photograph, but sometimes they are. And if they do make eye contact, I'll, you know, I'll smile, a nod, or I may engage in conversation with them. Uh, it's been rare that someone has told me that they want to delete me to delete the photograph. And if they want me to delete the photograph, you know, I'll try to explain what I'm doing. And if they, and I'll show it to them and I'll offer to, you know, send it to them or, or tag them. But if they insist on me taking, you know, taking the, uh, deleting the photograph, I'm, I'm fine with it. But that's, you know, that's, that's rarely happened. But, you know, I always just sort of come back or what are my intentions about it? And my intentions are never to, disrespect, demean, or humiliate my subjects when I'm making a, when I'm, I'm making a photograph. I'm trying to be respectful of them as a human being. And I think that when it, you know, going back to the, you know, initial part of the conversation in terms of photographing people of, of color, assuming that you're, you're white and you come from a certain class, um, I don't want to deter people from making those images. I just want them to think about and be aware of um, that there are certain biases and certain assumptions that you may make even unconsciously that may be informing, you know, how you make those photographs and, and just to question some of them, you know, and it may yeah. result if it may result in you taking on a different perspective that, that, that leads to you making better photographs by maybe actually engaging people more more often when you do want to make their photograph rather than being at a distance and trying to do it, you know, incognito. Um, I'm constantly sort of challenging myself in terms of my approach in, in photographing subject matter. So I, I do it all the time, even though my circumstances are, are, are different. I think every photographer should. But I think especially us as photographers, we constantly have to be aware of the privilege that we possess just by the, just by the fact that we can, we own this expensive equipment, especially when you go to a country where all that equipment would be years worth of a, a of a income for an entire family. Yeah. Uh, you, you mentioned biases and I think that that was something that I was trying to to convey my, my feelings in, in that respect, I started realizing that I have biases that are largely unconscious. Uh, I can be blind about race and gender, right? And when I think what it would feel like to be in front of the camera, I don't realize that my trying to imagine, to perceive what that would be is colored by my biases. So I've started more thinking, as you said, right, engaging people is probably whenever I find myself in a situation where that could be an issue, uh, engaging people and even just asking for simple permission is probably going to be something that I'm going to do more and more, even though that might mean losing a possible candid moment. And oh, yeah, if, absolutely. Right? 
Absolutely. Yeah, because the, the, I know for some photographers that the, the photograph is all important. And, but the, the reality is the majority of photographs that we make are passable. You know, they're mm -hmm. good. They're not necessarily portfolio worthy. So, you know, the loss of, you know, of even a good image for the sake of being able to have sort of a genuine human encounter, however brief, um, for me is always much more valuable to me than, than sometimes the photograph is. Um, you know, and sometimes I'm just not able to produce a photograph that really um, meets the high level that I set out for myself in terms of making an exceptional photograph. More, more time than not, it's an opportunity for me to practice composing, using light, engaging a subject, or if I'm doing it as sort of a candid, in a candid way of being able to build a composition with all these various elements, the background, the foreground, the subject, and make for an interesting photograph. A lot of those things are just, for me, sort of exercises leading up to a moment where everything gels and I have perfect synchronicity and everything just, just gets pulled off, right? So the fact that I don't get each and every shot, I don't, I don't see as problematic, right? And right. there are some times where the engagement with the people is much more important to me. There's, there's a, a person that I photographed recently who's one of the last three newspaper vendors on Broadway in downtown Los Angeles. And I've been photographing in downtown Los Angeles for about 30 years, and there used to be an abundance of these people. Now, now there's only three, and this guy's name's Manuel. And I was talking to him because I was very curious about how many were left, and you know. And I talked to him, and I made a nice portrait of him, you know, seated in his space, and it's up on my my Instagram from a couple of weeks ago. And and the photograph is a nice is a nice portrait, you know. It's and it's a uh, sort of a, a sliver of time because at some point. You know, these people are not going to be there anymore because of all the gentrification that's happening. But for me, the encounter with him, learning a bit about his story, um, for me, was just as important as the photograph that I made. Because I had a real curiosity of him, not just as a photographic subject, but as a human being, as a person. And I wanted to learn something about the story because I these, these, these news these newspaper and magazine vendors were such a linchpin of that community for as long as I could remember as a kid when I used to go down with my parents and go to the movie theaters and, and go shopping at the department stores. And to see them disappearing, I felt it was important for me to make the photograph but also to learn something about him so that he wasn't just an anonymous figure in, in a photo. So... Um, so I think there are times where it's 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 important for us to really think about are we making the photograph so important that we are um, too easily dismissing or not even considering the humanity of the people that we're photographing? And I guess you know, it's a case by case basis. You know, it's not like you have to do that for every bloody shot you make. You know. But I think you have to sort of have a healthy balance between, you know, being a per, you know being a decent human being and then being a photographer. I don't think they're mutually uh, exclusive. No, you you made me think 
or realized rather that uh, probably the the photographs that I that I like the my own photographs that I like the most that I'm more attached to personally at least maybe they will never win any awards but the photographs of people that I've taken while traveling that I am attached to the most are photos that have a story attached to them. Mm-hmm. And typically this is a story that resulted from an interaction between me and the subject I photographed. I remember one, uh, for example, one, one that comes to mind is a, a family I photographed in Shefshawan in Morocco. I don't know if you've ever been to Morocco, but if you, have, you know that people there generally do not like being photographed without their permission. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you ask, most of them will say yes, right? So we met this family in Shefshawan, and I thought they were really interested, so I engaged them in conversation with my very basic French. <laughs> I managed to, <laughs> to master a few words of French because they were speaking French, not English, and we learned that they were coming from Meknes to visit their uh, sons uh, or daughters who had a family there and visit the, the city, which is a tourist destination for Moroccans too. And I still have those photos among my favorites and the fact that they were able to uh, engage and have those people uh, look into the camera. with uh, the, the, the father especially was a very interesting gentleman, very penetrating gaze very very strong or another a group of workers in Oman for example was another such situation so I remember the stories and I remember the conversations and to me those are more valuable than the photos themselves and sometimes the photos are even probably more successful because it's it's probably easier and to get a better photo if you start to engage with somebody and you relax and they relax rather than just snapping uh, something quickly on the street. Of course, there, yeah. there's something to be said for the decisive moment, something that happens, and you need to snap a photo because there's something happening in that specific moment that is uh, a candid scene, which would not happen elsewhere. But again, my, my favorite ones are probably those that are that have a story behind them and interaction. I don't know if, uh, if that's the same for you. Yeah, yeah, it, it it is very much the same for me. But you know, as you, as you just mentioned, you know, going into a, a place where you don't speak the language puts a real big hamper on it. I speak Spanish, so if I go into a Spanish speaking country, I'm able to sort of engage with people and get get create a situation where I'm, I'm much more intimate and close. Um, I'm, I always love photographing people doing something. So if it's someone who's like shaving ice or someone who's a, say a butcher or a bread maker, and I can talk to them a bit and engage with them and then be able to get them to sort of return to what they're doing and get in there with a 16 millimeter lens and make really intimate, interesting photographs. That's all, that's always what I favor. But when I'm in, you know, France, which is coming up or when I've been in Japan, um, you know, I don't speak French and I don't speak Japanese. So for me, I don't have the, the, the advantage of being able to verbalize what I would like to do. I basically have to use hand gestures and a, and a smile or raise my camera. And as a result of that, there's, there's, there's a, uh, I, I tend to do more candid, candid stuff just because I lack the verbal skills to be able to, to, to do that. But when I go to France, um, uh, uh, coming up, I, I, I'm I'm hoping to in- create more intimate photographs, despite the fact that I'm not fluent in in French. 
You know, uh, there are plenty of opportunities, opportunities I have to engage with people. And if I see a photograph there, I'm going to ask if I can make a photograph, whether I'm sitting in a, you know, going to visit a blue lingerie and getting some bread or something like that and engaging. And then, you know, while we're doing, but actively try to communicate and have a brief relationship with whoever I'm engaged with. And then say, can I make a few photographs just by gesturing? And my initial trips to Tokyo and Japan, I hesitated to do that because I was so insecure about not speaking the language. But I know what kind of photographs I want to make, you know. And I Before, even if even if I never, even if we don't even communicate using words, and it's just, you know, gestures and stuff like that, and I'm able to produce a photograph, I'm going to come away with the memory of that engagement, and the fact that I made photographs that are much more interesting and personal for me as a result of doing that. I remember when I went to Japan, before going, I started studying some Japanese. And, I mean, my Japanese is very poor. Uh, it's a complicated language for us uh, Westerners. But there's one, uh, one sentence that I learned, which is, Sumimasen, shashino tottemo i desu ka? which means, excuse me, can I take a photo? <laughs> so, mm -hmm. I'm going to have worked. to learn that. <laughs> <laughs> that was a little bit of Japanese that I remember. Okay, yeah. Uh, like that we are, we share so many uh, ideas and uh, concepts about uh, how we approach this type of photography. That, that's really great. But for a moment, I would like to come back to the issue of race, if you don't mind. And oh yeah. Look at it, look at it from from the other flipping the mirror a little bit, right? We talked about how do you f how people would feel people from, with a different culture, race or background to be in front of the camera, but considering I mean I, w I would like to consider being a person of color like you are a black person being behind the camera and photographing somebody if it makes any difference. Yeah. Were you ever in a situation like where you would feel that people were reacting to you as a black photographer differently than they would react or reacted to a white photographer or a photographer from their same ethnicity, like in Japan, for example? I, I can't really point to anything like that um, and say that I had a situation where I felt like it was... Um, that at least in terms of the subject themselves, that there was an issue. Um, I can't say that people have questioned my right to take a photograph in terms of police, security people questioning mm -hmm. me in terms of what I'm doing there and what am I doing, you know. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I've been stopped by police even without taking a camera just because they felt I didn't belong in the neighborhood. Years ago, I was walking in Beverly Hills, and I was visiting a friend who lived on one of those streets, and I'm walking back from it. I, mean, this is, I was like 17 or something, and I was just walking there and going to the bus stop so I could get home. The bus stop was, I think, on Santa Monica Boulevard, and I think my friend's house was on Rodeo Drive, and I just crossed the street, and all of a sudden, I was swarmed by four or five police cars. They stopped me. They searched me. They searched my bag. And uh, I hadn't been doing anything except walking in a neighborhood that someone didn't think I belonged on. So 
you know, that's part of the reality that as a person of color that I live, I live with, um, and have experienced not to the degree that some people like, you know, George Floyd, who lost his life and other people, um, like that poor guy who got, who got, um, shot while he was like, you know, jogging, mm-hmm. uh, down in the South somewhere. But it's something that I'm, I'm, I'm conscious of, you know, that, um, in certain, certain places, if I choose to go out and photograph and, that it may or may not be an issue. It, it, it usually doesn't happen, but it's always a consideration for me, you know, in terms of where I'm going, in terms of how that. But um, but one thing I, I will say about it in terms of uh, uh, black people when they are being photographed, I think there there are some there are some blacks um, who are very sensitive to being photographed. Um, because there's sort of a suspicion about why are you photographing me? You know, what are the images for? Um, you know, it's, it's, it's this, this, this idea of, of that. How do I, I'm trying to phrase this in, in a real clear, concise way. I may fail miserably, <laughs> but there's this, this is a, there's this sort of idea of, of no, let's put it you didn't ask my permission to make my photograph and i think that mm-hmm. it's it's this sort of idea that 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 entitlement that we talked about um is something that um many blacks feel that is imposed on them by others and mm-hmm. that they're somehow being robbed of just some basic modicum of respect and dignity when someone makes their photograph without their permission. Mm-hmm. And it's not just about how the pictures are going to be used. And it's like, man, you should ask if you want to make make my photograph. You should give me the courtesy of asking to make a picture of me. You know, just as a show of respect. Because sometimes we, in general... Uh, feel that sometimes we are not afforded the dignity and respect of a white person, you know, who's walking down the street or, you know, walking in a store. And I think some, some, some people are very sensitive about that and, and get very angry about it. Not to the point that I feel like it's, um, it's been an issue for me a, a couple of times, you know, and and I just kind of explain what I'm doing and we kind of have a discussion about it. But I, I think that when when I'm confronted about it, I kind of explain what I'm doing, especially when I'm photographing other people of color. Because for me, I'm coming from from a place where I never got to see people like me in films, in television, in magazines, in books represented in a particular way. So when I make photographs of people of color, I am doing it because of, of, of the absence of that when I was growing up and also because I just think there's a beauty inherent there. And so whether I make a photograph candidly or whether I'm approaching someone um, and asking to make the photograph, that's what I'm about. And so mm-hmm. I'm not sneaking anything. I'm I'm always very present there with a camera. There, I'm not hiding anything. Um, 
So if someone has an issue with me making the picture, I can I can have a discussion and feel like I I can justify what I'm doing. Not that I have to, but I can. You know, and if people sort of understand them, they say, well, I think you still should ask for somebody, you know, ask for somebody's permission. I mean, I get that. I completely get that. And I, but they understand that it's, I'm not coming from a place of being disrespectful or trying to take anything away from them that they feel like they, like they deserve. So I hope that that, that makes sense. It does. Uh, And from from us from here especially from from Europe where the the race issue it it, it does exist it exists in many communities but is uh, probably not as present as pervasive as it is in the US uh, we, we hear stories about people saying that they were just stopped and freezed just because they were black and it, it's one thing to, mm-hmm. to 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 read about it from somebody you don't know it's it's another thing to to hear somebody you know that confirming that they leave that on, on their own uh, skin, so to speak. And I can, again, I can imagine what it would mean for me to, for example, to go to, to Rodeo Drive and try to sneakily take some photos of people. I could probably get away with it if people notice. I, I know that nowadays people are more sensitive about privacy and security than they were maybe when you were 17 but if I were to do it today, I would probably, even if the police start stopped me and started questioning me, I would probably be able to get away easily. And I'm thinking that maybe uh, a black person would not be able to get away so easily. And the consciously or unconsciously, the people who are being photographed, when if they are photographed by a white person, they would think of our motives differently than they would think of yours. Yeah. I, I've Sadly. not photographed <laughs> in, in Beverly Hills, but I've always been curious to do that just to see if, if, if I get, I get a, if I get that reaction. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I have to sort of really, I need to make a plan to just go out there and do that. Cause there's, there's a couple of factors there. One is like, you know, if you're just shooting on the public street, I know I'm not well within my rights to be able to make photographs. And if I linger around there, you know, um, and, and the police are called on me because I'm doing quote unquote, I look suspicious. And then there's other part of, of a Dale drive that where they have a lot of stores, but I don't know whether that, that area of street is considered private, right? Because they have certain streets or certain walk uh, walkways that even though the public walks through, is considered private, right? And at that point, they can tell you that you, you're not allowed to make photographs here, despite the fact that people are all the time making photographs with uh, with their selfie, you know, making their selfies Something. and stuff like that. But if you're lingering around and you look like you're working with a professional camera, they can question you and ask you to leave. But I'm really kind of curious as to what would happen, especially if I went out there with a white photographer, a white woman photographer, and said, okay, we're both going to photograph here. Let's see see if we get any pushback. You know, you can work over here and work around here and we'll just see, and we'll see whether, you know, nothing happens or whether something happens to one of us. Um little social experiment. If you a know. little social experiment. You know? <laughs> um, I would hope nothing would happen. I think I, that would be ideal, you know. Yeah. But, um, but the thing is that I have to, as, a, as, as, you know, 
as a person that uh, with my skin color, that's a consideration that I make depending on where I decide to go. You know, it's not, oh, I'm just going to go photograph in this area. I go, well, okay, I got to have to consider, you know, this and that um, in terms of um, whether I'm going to be uh, confronted for doing something as simple as just making photographs. Because right? everybody has had the experience being stopped by people, like security people going, what are you doing? Why are you making pictures here? Are you doing this professional blah, 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 blah. I mean, that's sort of part and parcel, but... You know, for photographers of color who are shooting candidly on the street, you also have to sort of factor in the fact that, you know, someone may take a look at the color of your skin and assume something a little more um, uh, negative about what you're doing, right? Yeah, that, that's exactly what I was, uh, what I would wanted you to, to, to comment about, to give your perspective, uh, because um, as I said, we... We're biased. We don't think about that. I don't think about that normally. I don't think about that. It's to me, it's not an issue at all. Yeah. Right? But it, it can be an issue for for some people, for many people, and it's it's good to have your your perspective on that. Good. Yeah, and it's and it's not and it's not that I, it's going to stop me from doing doing what I want to do. If I'm going to yeah. photograph in a certain place and I know that it's publicly accessible and I'm not violating anybody's rights by being able to do that. I'm gonna go 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 do it, but I have to sort of factor in. Well, if I might, there's a there's a possibility that I could get pushed back, and that's just a thought that passes in my head, just because of where I live and who I am. I'd rather not have to to even think about that, but it's a consideration every time I get into my car to drive to work or drive to different parts of Los Angeles. I'm very conscious about um, mm-hmm. being careful about you know, how I'm driving, you know, coming to a full stop at a stop sign, not, you know, doing the speed limit, making sure my tags are up in current, you know, because it's like small things like that can result in me getting stopped by the police. Not, not to the point that I'll have a, a, a deadly encounter with them, but in every encounter with, with someone in authority, especially in terms of police, for me and for a lot of other people is a point of anxiety. Right. You know, because it's it's sometimes it's like um, it's it's one thing to sort of know your rights. Right. And then figuring out when you feel like your rights are being violated, how much do you push back? Right. Like one of the things that 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 I think about probably a little bit too much is if I'm photographing on, on, say, on a street and a cop comes up to me and says, well, you know, what are you doing? And I tell them, oh, I'm just making photographs. And then they ask for my ID. You know, if I'm not, if not, if they don't suspect me of a crime, there's no legal reason for me to give my ID to identify myself to to the police at that point. You know, if someone says they oh, you look, look look like he's doing something suspicious, I can explain. No, I'm just making photographs. But the moment they ask for my ID, it's kind of like um, I have a right to to decline to do that because I'm not committing a crime. And if they don't suspect me of committing a crime and they'll tell me, well, they're just investigating because I don't want to, I don't want to get into the system. Right. Because mm-hmm. if my name is in, in, in that system and I get stopped again for the same reason, they're going to see that I've been stopped before yeah. for, for suspicious activity, even though I didn't do anything wrong. Right. 
and it's like I I don't need that. Um, I don't want that. Nope. Right, but the thing is, you know, um, how how, you know, some police officers, most of them will probably be will find they understand that I'm well within my rights to not have to identify myself if I'm not doing anything illegal. And there are other ones who may question me pushing, uh, questioning their authority. You know, we see it, we see it happen all, well, we don't see it happen often enough, but I, I grew up in South LA. You know, I know that the cops take liberties with mm -hmm. people that they feel they have a right to take liberties with, right? Because if you are, especially if you live in a certain community, um, you know, who are you going to believe? The cop or the guy who's pushing back? And even if you don't have a record, because I don't have a record, I've never been arrested, I've never been in jail, you know, but sometimes that doesn't matter, right? And God forbid, you know, I ever have to get to the point where I have to push back and all this other stuff. I don't want to, I don't really want to go through the hassle, but I also don't want to get in, I also don't want to get into the system and then, and I, you know, when that situation, if it ever presents itself, which I hope it never does, I have to wonder about, well, how much do I have to push back? And some people will go, you know, hey, you know, just you just cooperate, just do what they tell you. But it's like, you know, mm -hmm. I, I, I feel like, why should I have to surrender a right that everyone else gets to enjoy for the sake of just being able to go about my business? Right? And, and part of me just bristles at that idea because I know I would, I would, even if I walked away from it and everything was sort of cleared up, it would bug the hell out of me that in some way I've kind of didn't stand up for myself and let myself down. And so for me, it's, it's, it's a really complicated thing. Mm -hmm. You know, I hope, it, I hope I never have to face that, but that's, you know, when I read about different stuff that's happening and I watch <laughs> too many YouTubes about, you know, uh, police encounters and stuff like that in terms of understanding rights, especially because I'm trying to educate myself even more in terms of rights, not just about being a person of color, but also just being a, a photographer, trying to understand, you know, um, especially in California, you know, what rights we have as photographers and when security guards or police have a right to tell us not to do it. But then, you know, whenever I'm going to travel, whether it's another country or another, another state or another city, I'm definitely going to get, understand what, what the rules are. So that if I ever get some pushback, I, I can be informed in terms of, you know, my response to whatever someone is telling me or asking me. Yeah. Uh, again, it's it's one thing to read about those things. It's another thing to, to hear somebody, you know, personally confirm them. And maybe one of the reasons we, we don't see many black street photographers might have to, I mean, before a black person would think of picking up a camera and going photograph on the street, They've all, all those things to think about, at least in the U.S., that we yeah, don't. Well, huh? Yeah, but I'll push back on that idea because there are a lot mm -hmm. of black street photographers, both women and men, mm -hmm. that are out there making amazing photographs. They may not get the attention as some of the other photographers that are out there, but, oh, yeah, there are bunches. Uh, and I'm really glad that in about like Clubhouse recently and Instagram 
and different groups. I've been turned been turned on to an amazing group of really talented uh, street photographers, and many of them who are like sort of focusing on the black uh, black communities in which they live. Um, so you get to see, because one of the things about street photography in general is that people sort of gravitate to certain locations, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like Midtown in New York City or uh, Champs-Élysées in Paris or whatever, um, whatever it is. And then regardless of, of, of the, the race of the photographer, they sort of gravitate to certain places in order to f- sort of photograph. And one of the things that I've loved about seeing photographers who are like, um, you know, uh, Latinx or uh, Asian or African-American and black, um, that they're doing street photography in places that are not com- that are not as frequented. And they're creating really interesting bodies of work uh, in those communities. And part of which, part and part, part and parcel to the fact is that they they feel like they have access, you know, because someone who's you know white is not necessarily going to start roaming the streets of you know South LA or Compton or Watts or East LA with the freedom that they're going to feel if they go down to Venice Beach or to downtown Los Angeles, right? Because yep. it's they're they're going to have to. It's not and it's not necessarily that it's going to be dangerous because I I think that. Um, that is that, that's too quick an assumption to make. I think you have to be careful about your safety regardless of where you go with a camera. But I think it's also about that thing we were talking about earlier about the engagement, right? Mm-hmm. There you have to be very sensitive because you're in somebody else's community where the, the presence of a camera is not as common, right? So your presence over the camera is going to be right. questioned. So you have to be ready to be able to sort of explain and engage with people and, 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 and uh, you know, clarify what you're doing. Uh, and, for that, and for that, a lot of people uh, choose not to go into those areas. Um, but a lot of photographers are doing it, and hopefully a lot more people will be able to discover their work and, and see street photography and, and, you know, social documentary photography in areas that they've not seen it before. That would be great. So I don't want to keep you busy for much longer. I know you have uh, lots of other commitments, but yeah, I would like to to thank you again for being so open and candid as the name of your show about your your feelings. It was uh, really uh, enlightening in in some respect um, to the condition of uh, people of color, black people in, in the U.S., whether they're photographers or not. So No, thank, thank you. Thank, thank you. you. I've never had that. this conversation on a, on a podcast before, even my own. So um, <laughs> I, re- I really appreciate the opportunity to, to discuss it with you. I think it's a really interesting subject, and I hope that people get a, get a lot out of it. Yeah, I hope so, too. So thanks again for, for being on the show today. Anything else you would like to, to say before we... We close this, maybe just uh, yeah, point people uh, to your website. Your... Yeah, p- people can check out thecandidframe.com, and there they'll find um, the, the, the show, the podcast. They'll also find my f- photographic work. I have a workshop coming up, an uh, online workshop, um, uh, based on using your own life to um, jumpstart your photography, um, being able to use 
some of the most common and mundane experiences of your life and to really transform the, the way that you see. It's been a popular class that I've taught throughout the pandemic. Uh, and it's available through nabechicreative.com. You'll find links for that on on my website. And uh, yeah, that's it. Did you say using your life or your wife? Because your life. Yeah, saying your wife is going to be very limiting. Depending on the situation, can be a very willing subject or not. Yes, I, I know that personally. <laughs> Great. Okay. Thanks again, and uh, hope to we, we get we get another chance to talk before uh, a little uh, sooner than a few years. Absolutely, that would be great. Thank you, Baryonyx. Take care. Bye.